Now, this show happens because of Cornerstone Business Solutions. If you've got a whole lot of process-driven tasks that you're just not getting done, or maybe you're doing them yourself, then I would seriously consider getting a virtual assistant through Cornerstone. You can book a free, no-obligation discovery call with owner David Warren now on 02-9083-6689. Hey, we're also supported by Web Central, who are there to help you optimise your business's online presence by creating highly effective websites, social media campaigns and SEO strategies. Got to love that. You can check out their exclusive listener packages just for you over at webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo. Today's guest is an ex-SAS soldier turned award-winning business owner. Once, he jumped out of a plane only to find his parachute wouldn't, in fact, didn't open. Well, he survived, and now he's turned that into a business lesson we can all benefit from. And welcome back to another episode of Australia's number one marketing show. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, yeah, you. Walking the dog, driving to work, commuting somewhere. You're a motivated business owner and you are ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be, which is exactly why this show exists. It exists for no other reason. If it's your first time round, welcome. Don't be scared. If it's your 286th time around, welcome back. Love your work. Big show today. Got an ex-SAS soldier we're going to meet soon. He's now an award-winning small business owner. His name's Scott Houston, who shares five lessons he learned from his time in the SAS that we can all apply to grow a better business. I share another low-cost marketing idea for you to implement immediately in the now incredibly popular segment, What Have You Got to Lose? I'll give you a hint. Today's idea is all about creating your brand story, and I'll give you three steps to doing that. Plus, we revisit a past episode in which my guest found herself crying in tears. Well, I suppose that's what happens when you're crying, right? In the car park, once she realised she'd bought a lemon of a business. That was a great episode. More on that later. As per usual, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. So now by the time this episode gets posted, goes to air, if you will, I'm going to be in the Philippines with nine listeners, yeah, nine motivated business owners on my third Create Freedom Through Outsourcing Tour. Looking forward to that. I'm going to have a whole week over there this time. The tour is only for three days, but I'm going to hang out uh, at Cornerstone and um, see what's going down in the world of outsourcing, of offshoring, and I will report back uh, 
any new insights or tips that I come across in order to help you on your outsourcing journey. So stay tuned for that in episodes to come. Coming up, I share another easy to implement marketing idea all about your brand story. But first, let's get stuck in to today's guest, who is Scott Houston. He's a former SAS soldier with an unbelievable parachuting story. It's your worst nightmare come true, but he lives to tell the tale. Now, um, what's the SAS? I had to ask because, like, you know, it sounds important, so I had to Wikipedia it. And what they say is it's a special forces unit of the Australian Army tasked to provide special operations capabilities in support of the Australian Defence Force. And this includes sensitive strategic operations, special recovery operations, special reconnaissance, precision strikes and direct action. Sounds tough, huh? Basically, (laughs) these are the blokes with massive kahunas that do things that you and I wouldn't even think about. So after leaving the SAS, Scott went and started what is now an award-winning business called Executive Risk Solutions. In fact, it was the Telstra Business of the Year uh, in 2015. And I've got to tell you, Scotty runs a very, very tight ship. What I like about him is his never-say-never attitude to getting things done, which has clearly come from his time in the SAS, and we're going to learn a lot about that and how we can apply it in our businesses. In fact, what Scott is about to share are five lessons he learned from his time in the SAS and how how he's directly applied them to grow his award-winning business. So I started off this interview the only way I knew how. Scotty, I'm going to start with the dad joke. I'm going to get the dad joke out of the way. How many times did someone come over the walkie-talkie saying, Houston, we have a problem? We have a problem. (laughs) Yeah, we've heard it once or twice. So, uh, yeah, a couple of times. uh, Not you? Yeah. No, not me, but uh, yeah, we heard it more than enough times. Oh, damn. Hey, mate, uh, welcome. Tell me, tell us, what is the SAS? Uh, the, the SAS actually stands for the Special Air Service, um, and it's known in Australia as the Special Air Service Regiment, and it's the premier special forces unit in Australia. So uh, they're, the, uh, they're the guys who get all the good jobs, the hard jobs, and, uh, and quite often they're the, uh, the last resort for, uh, for the government in a lot of times with, uh, you know, with some of the harder, harder problems to solve. Tell us about these good jobs, hard jobs, an example of one that you were involved in. Yeah, well, the the regiment for the last 15 years has been uh, constantly uh, deployed overseas, and you've, you you know you've, if all you've got to do is, is Google the SAS, and you'll see the uh, the myriad of uh, of jobs they've been on through Afghanistan, through Iraq, East Timor, um, and I was fortunate enough to uh, you know to deploy to Afghanistan and and several times to East Timor um, with the unit. So um, yeah, some an amazing environment, small team environment. So a small, high-performance team, um, you know, with highly motivated and highly capable individuals. You're not allowed to talk about specifics, are you? Uh, no. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it, no what, we'll it, leave the specifics out. Is what you just said as far as you can go? 
Um, yeah, pretty much so. There's there, there is a lot of stuff that's out there that's um, you know that the military have released for for uh, mm-hmm. for the uh, for the public. You know, we've got Victoria Cross winners in uh, in Mick Donaldson and Ben Robert Smith, mm-hmm. and their stories have been told now um, in, in quite quite a uh, quite a bit of detail. Um, so yeah, there's certain things that they'll release information, right. and then there's other things that they'll uh, they'll keep fairly close hold. You go in behind enemy lines with the intention of not attacking but rescuing? Is that – am I right there? I just want to get a really clear picture because what, clearly what you've learned and applied to your business has been has led to success. So is that what you guys do? Yeah, it's one of the roles is right. that, that hostage rescue is uh, is one of the roles. Um, they've also held for, for quite some time the counterterrorism role, so um, – to, for domestic um, counterterrorism, uh, and, and also, you know, that working behind enemy lines is—it's—it's uh, it's a little—it's changed a little bit now in, in the modern battlefield, because there's, you know, enemy—you know—the the battlefield isn't really delineated the way it used to be in the past. Um, but a lot of it is uh, is small teams isolated. Uh, without a lot of support um, and uh, either hostage rescue or observation and surveillance. Do you ever fear for your life? Uh, yeah, I suppose there were a couple of times. So, uh, you know, the, the regiment operates at a really high tempo and, and, you know, and the jobs that they do um, do come with, a, with a, a great degree of risk. Um, you know, the, uh, the fatalities in the regiment, um, you know, they've had more fatalities in training than they have in operations. Um, you know, so, you know, the Black Hawk crash was an example back in 96 mm-hmm. where we lost 15 guys, uh, lost one of my best mates and knew basically all the guys that, uh, that, uh, that died in, uh, in that crash. Um, you know, and loss, you know, you sort of sit back and you, you count the, the amount of friends that you've lost over, over the years and it's sort of, uh, it's up above the 20s. Mm. Tell me to shut up because we are going to get stuck into business in a minute, but I am fascinated and I think this is, is relevant. Um, when you feared for your life, uh, did you have the old my life flash before my eyes type thing or was it different? No. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I never had that and, um, and, and even in training I've had some, uh, some experiences that uh, – Like that what? Were, were fairly close. had a parachuting uh, uh, accident. You're going to tell us about that shortly, aren't you? Yeah, yeah don't, hold, hold, keep your powder dry on that. Excuse the pun. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, I never really had the uh, the life flashing before my eyes as such. Why did you join the SAS? Um, it was always for, for me. It was always where I wanted to be. I was 11 years old, um, and I watched a thing called the Iranian Embassy Siege on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was over in London, and I watched all these guys dressed in black um, abseil down the outside of this building and storm this building. Uh, they stormed the building and basically uh, rescued the hostages and, and killed the terrorists. And 11 years old, I, uh, I sat there and I said, that's what I want to do when I wow. grow up. And wow. I still got to this day the scrapbook I started collecting when I, was, when I was 11 on everything I could find about the SAS. What, what What's that about, Scotty? Is that about uh, being a superhero? Is that about adventure? Um, you just like danger? What 
Can you? No, I, I think it's. Um, I think it's a challenge, and I, I think that's. Um, and it's really relevant in business as well. There's certain people who are motivated by challenges, and it's one of the things that really does motivate me is the challenge. I love being told I can't do something, um, only to go and do it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 motivated by challenge, and um, and that's you know that that's me sort of thing you know through and through. But uh, and I think even with staff members and and everything else with our staff that we have here at, at ERS. The big thing I'm about is challenging them, pushing their boundaries and making sure they get that sense of achievement in, in what they do because I think that's a, it's a great motivator. Mate, you have so very softly, subtly segued into business. Uh, I've got so many more questions around SAS, <laughs> but I might come back to them as we get through this. But let's talk business because that's why you're here and, yeah, no and, and what you have done, what you've learnt in the SAS has allowed you to build executive risk solutions, which is the business that you now run, a highly awarded business, a wonderfully successful business. Um, ex- explain what's the, what's the elevator pitch for, for for executive risk solutions? Yeah, um, ERS or executive risk solutions, we, uh, we're a consultancy and service provider that helps companies um, mitigate risk across a really um, broad range of, uh, of areas, all from the risks on the ground. So we can put the boots on the ground, put the equipment on the ground, such as firefighters, security, paramedics, all the way through to training the corporate teams how to deal with major incidents um, within their company or uh, within their facility. So, um, what's an example? That to me, that sounds like something the government should be providing. I'm sorry, what am I missing there? Yeah, no, this is for basically for private industry. Private so industries. We'll We'll help uh, mining companies. We, we help and prepare a lot of the resource companies to deal with major accidents on their sites, um, you know, fatalities on their sites. So we, we, we help them deal with the next of kin, how to deal with the media, um, how to, you know, get, uh, how, to, how to focus on business continuity and get back up and running. So, for um, example, right now, Dreamworld are under the pump because of the yes. tragic accident that happened uh, there last week. Is yep. that something that you could have potentially got involved in exactly yeah and, and that's then that's exactly the sort of stuff that we uh, that we do on the consultancy side so with for example dreamworld uh, you know take them for an example we would have helped prepare their their team so trained their team to be ready for an incident like that or how to respond um, i'm not sure of of dreamworld's crisis management capability or what they right. had in place um but uh, but yeah that's the sort of thing we do we so you would have gone in there years ago and said fellas at some point you're going to be hit by a crisis like all com- large companies do with lots of staff and lots of moving parts this is what you should do right you you preempt yeah. you preempt yeah. things yeah, put the procedures right. in place, and then actually train the staff. Okay. Um, train the staff because what what the Dreamworlds, you know, the, the management are going through now, if they haven't been trained, and hopefully they have prior to this, I really feel for them. It's a really difficult oh, thing to go through if you've never been trained, um, and all of a sudden to deal with that. It's hard enough with training, but without training, it's uh, your chances of being successful um, in your crisis management are, are really, uh, yeah really pushed. So starting Executive Risk Solutions, Scotty, was it just an obvious extension to being an SAS soldier? It was like, okay, I want to start my own business now. Uh, my my skill set is to help people uh, in the most extreme of situations. 
that's a business. Is that kind of the thinking process? Yeah, yeah pretty much so. And, and within the military, we we deal very well with that crisis, with that the unexpected. Um, you know, that's the environment that we work in. So that ability to think on your feet and um, is something that uh, it, it sort of comes natural. Doesn't come natural, but uh, within the military, it's what you've, we've trained and what we've done for year after year. Um, so it's just that natural natural step for us and that, that adaptation and then taking that into business and and using our lessons learned in the military um, to apply that in uh, in crisis management to assist you know to assist companies so does that mean you just employ soldiers no no we uh, we probably have we've got about 107 staff I think at the moment 107 108 staff um, and probably 50 percent of them are um, ex ADF, so Australian Defence Force, um, and we've literally just started uh, only six weeks ago a separate arm of ERS, ERS recruitment, which is just doing recruitment of ex Defence Force, mm-hmm. so non traditional recruitment. So we're a big believer in trying to find um, the Army, Air Force, Navy personnel jobs in uh, after their service. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we've done that. So we're a big supporter of, of ADF, but it's not all defence personnel. Listeners, I'm talking to Scott Houston, former SAS soldier turned award-winning businessman and now owner and founder of Executive Risk Solutions. Scotty, um, let's talk five things that you learnt um, as your time as an SAS soldier that you've applied into your business that are almost what we'd call critical success factors let's start with um you say that small business is just like parachuting <laughs> yeah definitely it was um back in mid 1998 i was standing on uh, the back ramp of uh, a c-130 hercules aircraft and it was flying about a thousand feet over the indian ocean um i was a, a water operator in e troop uh, two squadron of the special air service regiment and a week of parachuting was sort of culminating in our, uh, in our final exercise and of what we call a parachute load follow jump um, off the coast. And a parachute load follow or a PLF is where we jump out with our boats all bundled up, land in the water, prepare our boats and then go off and do our task. Um, it had been a pretty uneventful week. We'd done about eight jumps already. And, um, and our last jump and the final exercise was taking place close to last light. And uh, myself and a good friend of mine, Darren, who's still serving in the uh, the unit now, we were to, the first two to jump with our bundled up boat. As we'd jump out, we'd inflate the boat when we landed and uh, the aircraft would circle around and then it'd come back around and drop the rest of the patrol off. And as, uh, as the boat rolled off the back of the ramp and Darren and I walked to the back of the ramp, a little bit of turbulence in the aircraft and... Uh, when you're jumping from only a thousand feet up so it's only really 300 meters that we're jumping from um you don't have a lot of time in the air and um i accidentally with a bit of turbulence i bumped into the dispatcher now he's the gentleman he's the soldier at the at the back of the aircraft that tells us when to jump and uh bumped into him and it accidentally pulled my reserve parachute which was sits on your chest and uh spring loaded so i watched the reserve parachute um, shoot off my chest and out the back of the aircraft. So oh. I basically went from naught to about 120 knots. Became a sail. A, yeah, which is uh, about 200 kilometres an hour. I got ripped off the back ramp in uh, in around about a third of a second, I think it took for me to leave the back ramp. Um, ripped off, tumbled backwards as I came out. 
Um, my main canopy then, because we're jumping a static line, which is uh, where the main canopy's deployed for you, mm-hmm. um, that then pulled up, so I tumbled back through the other way, uh, came out under canopy and uh, falling sideways with all the, the rigging lines wrapped around my legs and my chest. And um, I Landed, sort of on, landed on the inflatable boat. Yeah, I wish I did, but uh, looked up to see both my canopies twisted around each other, so I was literally falling without a parachute. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had probably about a third of my reserve canopy open, so sort of stepped into those drills that you that are sort of that are drilled into you. Mm -hmm. um, Stepped into that straight away. Went to went to do went to separate the canopies. It didn't work. And uh, it didn't work, and uh, unfortunately, it all collapsed on me, and uh, I continued to fall. So, um, literally, uh, um, I looked up at that stage, looked down to where the water was, rushing up at a great rate of knots, covered my head and hit the water. No. And um, fortunately for me, about about a hundred feet off the water, I had um, I had about a half of my reserve canopy, about half of my reserve canopy open which slowed me down enough. So I was when I hit the water, um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I managed to survive, albeit very bruised and very sore. Did you do a horsey or like a, a really good bomb or something? No, just a straight-up bomby, I think. So, <laughs> straight-up uh, <laughs> bomby. Right, so you, okay, so you've fallen 300 metres from a plane, correct, yeah, into so, the water. How deep was so, it? Yeah, you know, I was out in the ocean. We were sort oh, of right. you know, 20 k's off, offshore, so, um, you know, 20 kilometres offshore. But to leave a ramp at 1,000 feet, um, oh, you know, man. with a canopy, with a normal canopy and, and go and do a normal parachute jump, you would normally land between 34 and 38 seconds later, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, to leave the, you know, to leave the ramp without a canopy um, will have you landing in around about nine to 10 seconds um, from a thousand feet. And, uh, and for me this day, when I, uh, when I jumped, I managed to, uh, to land in 14 seconds. So, uh, Scotty, uh, the small business lesson there is to bring a spare pair of underpants to work or oh, is it something much greater? <laughs> definitely. And, uh, and I, I suppose for me that it's, it's stepping into business and people always ask me what it's like to step into business after the military. And, and I sort of say to people, stepping into a small business, I, I put a lot of parallels back to that parachute jump because businesses and stepping into that business, it's just like stepping off that ramp. You know, it can be unbelievably daunting and mm-hmm. not without risk. And it takes an unbelievable amount of commitment to step off that ramp. But once you're off the ramp, you're hoping and, and sort of praying that, that everything goes well. Um, but it's that sort of that, that commitment to take that initial first step. Um, yeah, and I always think that parachuting exactly the same as business. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that would rather remain on the ground and, and, and not take the plunge and parachute. Um, and, and business is the same. And, but, it's, but when you do, owner. it's exhilarating, right? And that's what I, you know, that's what I hope my listeners, who, who generally have all taken the step, and I know that a lot of them feel that exhilaration uh, yeah. in a positive way. I, I yep. think there's also a lot who don't feel that exhilaration and maybe they're tuning in because they're absolutely shitting themselves? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, but it's also the, the parachuting, it's, and just like business, you can train for it and you can prepare for it um, to give you that sort of greatest chance of success, but nothing will actually be like doing it for real. 
And, uh, and that's really interesting coming from someone like you who I am guessing is organised to within an inch of his life because that's what so, – yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To like – are we talking a bit of OCD there, Scott, or, uh, you know, borderline – Borderline yeah, on the yeah, spectrum. Probably, <laughs> on the spectrum. I'd probably say yeah, yeah. You know, just that, on the spectrum, a little bit of a control freak. Yeah, well, I was just saying, it's, it's very reassuring to hear that come from you because you can be planned to within an inch of your life, and if you always just follow that plan and don't be a little bit more flexible, then I think you're going to hit trouble often. Whereas yeah. you, you've managed to introduce flexibility despite your training. Yeah, definitely. And and, and one thing with uh, you know with special you know with, with the SAS soldiers um, and any of the, any of the uh, the soldiers, we get this this uh, this um, appreciation that we have that we're these massive risk takers that we love risk. When in actual fact, nothing could be further from yeah, the truth. We're nothing further from the truth. What we do, we plan. And, you know, we look at every single option. We're worst case an option because we believe if we can deal with worst case, then everything back from there just becomes easier. Um, So we worst case it because a lot of the time, if it goes wrong for us, then then we're pretty much so on your own and uh, it's pretty catastrophic for it to go wrong. And that time in planning is is just never wasted. Yeah, love it, mate. Okay. Uh, Next learning. Small teams, big impacts. Yeah, it's um, it's it's the the military and, and the SAS, you know, in particular, um, have uh, and, and part of the reason they've been deployed overseas so often, re- you know, recently is I, I think it, it is a small amount of troops to deploy and put at risk, but a maximum impact that they can have. And everyone's always said to me, you know, how do we um. How do you choose a uh, you know that high performance team, and uh, and we have basically I think the three rules are, are you know selection, education, and empowerment. Um, and when you look at selection, you need to make sure you've selected the right people. And we're and the regiment are very very thorough on selecting their people. And um, you know if you get that step wrong. Uh, then, uh, then it can all go. You know, then it, it really, you can't operate as a high performance team if you've got someone in there who's mm. not operating at the same level. And I say to a few people, and and it's it's upset some of the HR professionals in the world um, that I've spoken to. And we have a saying of, um, if you want to have a high performance team, and this isn't in, in all business and work environments, but if you want to have a high performance team, then you have to what we call is shoot the bambies. And the Bambies are the nice people in the business who actually don't achieve anything, ah. but all businesses have got them who they're the nice person who they do this and they're always helping out, but you, everyone else is always doing their job for them. Um, and you sort of sit back and, you know, when you look at it, all they do is drag the rest of the team down because of the fact that, you know, the rest of the team have to make up for their shortfalls. Now, in, in a high-performance team and in a small high-performance team, you know, we believe you have to shoot that Bambi and get rid of Bambi and uh, and get another high-performance member in there to get the best out of your team. So this is interesting because every business owner I speak to will identify people as being their number one point of, you know, stress, you know, yep. a reason yeah, that the business is not moving forward. Um, what's your secret sauce to identifying great people to employ? Yeah, we, as I said, we 
I'm a big believer in we select people that are motivated by challenges um, and then we challenge them and we ensure that we challenge our staff day in, day out. How? Um, Give me an example of how you challenge a staff member in the last week. We uh, we put all of our staff that are in the field, um, we put them on what we call work capability assessments. Mm-hmm. So it's like a fitness test, very similar to the military, but it's uh, they've got to be able to, um, because they're small teams in remote locations, they've got to be able to do um, their job to and they're held accountable to uh, to achieving that job. Um, and that's biannual. All of our staff go through work capability assessments. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we give our staff a lot more um, uh, ability, I suppose, to chase some of the, you know, the bigger contracts and, um, and, and run those contracts themselves. So, do, do you uh, flick the odd staff member... A grenade every now and then. I use that in a kind of metaphorical way. But you know, catch this champ and see what you do with it. Yeah, we do. We we yeah. we, we we focus a lot on our future projects, and we force not force. We uh, force is probably the wrong <laughs> word. We we uh, we we really get everyone thinking about the future and what the next big thing is. Um, and, and our future projects really that they have all of our business unit managers have to deliver on um, on some KPIs on innovation and future projects and identifying those future projects for us and diversifying um, what we do. You know, we recently just, um, you know, went for a, uh, a major um, government tender, which you know, cost us in excess of $300,000 to, uh, to put the proposal in, which is a lot of money for a small to business. To put the proposal in? Yeah, just you, to submit the proposal. Wow. Well, wow. so, uh, just on that, because, again, lots of businesses submit for tenders. Did you see any of that? Did the government kind of subsidise that or did no. they suggest that that's no. what is you going to need to spend to to submit this tender? That's a lot of dough. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, you know, and we were the, the only Australian company in the uh, in the tender process and uh, and by far the smallest company in the process. Um, you know, the other companies that we're up against probably spent in excess of $2 million to put their proposals in. Wow. Um, Do you know if you've won yet? No, we were unsuccessful. So we've got oh, our feedback man. coming up, which is a bit of a shame. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a big learning curve. And, and What was the big lesson? Um, well, just in the way we constructed the tender, the way we went about, we'd never put a tender, you know, together, you know, of that of that size before, mm. you know, 18, I think it was about 18 or 1,900 pages in the, the tender, four months of work. And, Mate, uh, who's going to read was, that? Who's going to read 1,900 pages? Yeah, you've got to love the government, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but what, yeah, and it was our business unit managers that put that together. Um, and it was, you know, for me to let go of the reins on some of that as a bit of a control freak was a mm. huge thing. But, uh, but uh, you know, we stretched all of our business unit managers and everyone involved in that tender. They did an amazing job um, on yeah. putting it together, and I'm so proud of what they've put together, even though we weren't successful. Um, you know, we, uh, we learn a lot about, you know, pricing. You know, it's a $60 million a year contract. Right. Um, you know, working through the, the finance for that and everything else, we all really learned a lot. Um, so, it was, you know, it was a $300,000 cost, but it was a big investment yeah, in, right. uh, in our future and what we're chasing in the future. Five learnings that you've taken from the SAS into business. We're up to number three, turning brick walls into hurdles. I like this one. What do you mean? Yeah, well, it's, um, it was interesting. When I, first, uh, when, when I first left the military and went and worked for one of the major mining companies, was pulled aside at one stage by one of the, uh, the the senior managers or the senior manager, and he said to me, he said, Scott, don't ever change your attitude. Um, 
And um, I said, what do you mean? And he said, and, and it was a comment that he made, and he said, look, where everyone else sees brick walls, you see a hurdle. Um, and he said, don't ever change that. Hmm. And what we found in industry is everyone, uh, quite a lot of the time, I was really shocked at how people are finding a reason to stop. Um, and it's, um, you know, the smallest reason. It's like, I'm not sure if they don't want the extra responsibility or don't want the chance of failing. Um, but uh, I was always confronted with, no, we can't do that because of, you know, A, B or C. And I'd go, well, no, no, we can get around that and we can work around that. So, um, you know, so let's keep going. And it's that improvised, you know, that that, that military, um, basically that military saying that, that all the soldiers would have heard before is improvise, adapt, overcome. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's big. Within the SAS, um, there is no one else to give it to. So if we get presented with a problem within uh, within the Special Air Service Regiment and they say, can you guys go away and do this? We'll say yes. We'll walk away, look at it and work out how to do so, it. So it's a classic example of you create the problem by saying yes and then worry about how you do it afterwards. So what do you say to the small business owner listening who every day is confronted by some brick wall that, you know, as, as small business owners, it's our business, it's our future. So we, I would argue that many of us look for the hurdle but sometimes you just go, you just give up. What do you say to those people? Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a challenge, and you know I go through that stress as as uh, as well. And you know we've um, you know it's been a, it's been a hard year for for a lot of businesses the last twelve months. We've uh, you know along with the tender, we've probably we've diversified in a few other areas, and we've spent probably close to a million dollars this year in diversifying, looking for other options. Um, and looking for where our business can, because you know, can continue to grow, um, because of the fact there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of brick walls within the industry at the moment. Mm. You know, when, um, when you know, and but, but when you time, see that brick wall, what's your first, what's your mindset? Like, is it immediately you just go, well, there are options? Is that right? Is this stuff yeah. learnt, or are you just born with it, or not? There has to be options, and I think the best way to look at it. Um, from my point of view, in a business, when 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 those brick walls are put up by a client, we try and put ourselves on the client side of the desk and look at um, and, and look at the solution from them. It, we've, you've got to be solutions focused, uh-huh. um, and you've got to keep innovating. I think to have one solution and only one solution in business, um, it just really limits you to uh, you know to what you can uh, to what you can sell. So I think it's that that innovating. And, and the challenges of, you know, those brick walls force you to innovate, force you to think, how do we do it cheaper? How do we do it better? Um, you know, how do we sell our product so we get in front of, uh, you know, so it's our product selected over our competitors and everything else, um, you know, rather than sort of sitting back just wondering, you know, just thinking, geez, we had a great business, but, uh, but everything got too expensive and no one wanted to pay our price, so we shut our door. Um, I, I think it's, it's that innovation and... Um, um, that, that, that's that's really key to a successful business. Did you have? I had a chat to uh, a fellow Ant Morell a few weeks ago. He's the founder of Indoor Playgrounds Bounce, they're called Bounce, and yeah. um, he, he's actually put on. He has a full time person in charge of innovative thinking um, because a lot, I think a lot of businesses pay uh, lip service to innovation, and let's innovation simply doing things differently. Is if you want to kind of dumb it down. Do you have a, a formal process? Do you have a full time 
first-time person on it. How does innovation show itself within executive risk solutions? Yeah, like it's our business unit. We've got five business unit managers, and each one of them, as part of their KPIs and in our quarterly reporting, have to come up with the innovation and our future projects. So hmm. they have to come up with two concepts, um, and it can be as you know left field as they want, but they have to come up with two concepts um, each quarter um, in their industry and and in their in their business unit for for innovation. So, um, so that's one of the things. So we look Wrap at a KPI you know, around it. Yeah, so we've got 10 at least every quarter we're discussing as a strategic management group and our business unit managers at least 10 innovative ideas that one of them, you know, that they all think is worth putting forward. And we look at that and, um, yeah, and look at, um, you know, where we go from there. Love it. Scotty, um, number four success, critical success factor is all around luck. Is, is, is luck something that you just kind of hope hope for or tell us about that? Yeah, no, for me, I, I, I used to believe, you know, we we, saw, we were really fortunate to uh, to pick up our, our major contract, uh, our first major contract with Roy Hill Mining, um, you know, and Roy Hill have been the most amazing client for us. And, um, you know, it, it's been great. It's, it, it's been mm-hmm. the, uh, um, I suppose, the foundation for our business and, you um, and, and for those that know Roy Hill, um, Roy Hill is owned by Hancock Prospecting. Um, so, uh, you know, so the Reinhardt family and everything else. And and we're in, uh, we have great admiration for for people like that. That So actually, is it all about luck getting that or where's luck play into that? No, I think it's, um, it, it, it's, I looked at it and said, everyone. I used to always say to people, "I'm really lucky that uh, that we won this contract." And it wasn't until I um, I listened to Stephen Bradbury, the ice skater, um, <laughs> talk about winning his gold medal. And he said, you know, the four guys fell over in front of him. He said, was I lucky to win that gold medal? And he said that uh, one thing that he said to me was, or he said to the uh, the crowd was, you can you can lose a gold medal in five seconds, but you can't win a gold medal in five seconds. Mm. To win a gold medal takes years and years of hard work and dedication. Mm. And I suppose that's what my wife, who's my, my partner in the business, turned around to me and she said, this is why you need to stop calling it luck mm. um, because you're fortunate to be, in, you know, that you've that you've won these contracts, not lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're fortunate because you've put yourself in the position, you've maintained the standard, um, you know, you've done 15 years of service within the military. That's what's given you the, the grounding um, to actually put yourself in a position to be fortunate. So that's why, uh, and, and, it's, and it's the same in business. And, and, and I don't think we pay enough attention to that you know I, I always say to business owners celebrate the small wins and the big wins yeah, we tend yep. to celebrate the big wins more than the small yep. but um often we can put it down to luck or don't give it the kind of attention they deserve but you know if we were all to stop right now and you know look at look back on the last five days of business there would be something that we should each pat ourselves on the back for i reckon yeah a hundred percent and not and- put it down to luck yeah, exactly. You know, Lux, for me, Lux buying a lotto ticket or Lux putting a bet on at the casino, um, you know, that's luck when you've done no work, no effort, and it's just that that's when you're lucky. Mm-hmm. When you've put in an effort and you've done a lot of work and you've done that groundwork and you've put your heart and soul into it, it's not luck. It's, it's uh, you know, you're fort- you might be fortunate, but you're not lucky. Were you lucky falling out of the plane? Did luck play a part in that? Must have. Um, 
Yeah, to a degree. I, I suppose I was lucky that it went wrong on a water jump. Um, if it was a jump onto land, I probably, you know, the uh, the safety officers that were, there, that, that were there basically said, look, there's no way you would have walked away from that if it was a land jump. No. So maybe, uh, maybe a little bit of luck in there. Now, uh, number five, Scott, the value of people. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is one of the military things that, uh, that, that really sort of... Uh, um, resonates with me, and and I don't know if you've uh, if you've ever listened to a, a one of the the TED talkers, a guy I can't called Simon Sinek. Yep, he talks about it, and uh, he talks about watching some video footage from a, a helicopter crewman's um, GoPro on his helmet, mm-hmm. um, where they loaded some American Special Forces guys loaded um, a wounded soldier who'd been shot through the neck onto the helicopter, and uh, the patrol commander or the boss. Basically, as he loaded him on, covered in blood, shot through the neck, bent down and kissed him on the forehead before he ran back into the battle to uh, to continue to fight. And uh, and Simon Sinek sort of says then, you know, he goes, where do we find um, bosses and leaders that actually care this much about their people? Um, you know, where are these people and are they just in the military, um, you know, and, and why is it, you know? And, and he sort of says in his talk, are they better people or... And he, and he comes to the conclusion, it's not the better people, it's it's the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's that, yeah, and it's being able to rely on the people that are side by side with you and knowing that um, that, that you're all achieving something together. And, um, and a huge one in for me is, you know, and, and Simon says it in his, uh, his talk, and, you know, the value of people is that in the military we reward people with medals for the people who are prepared to sacrifice themselves for the greater good of others. But in business, quite often, we reward those who are willing to sacrifice others for the greater good of the company hmm. or the greater good of themselves. Um, yeah, and, you, and you've sort of got to question sometimes just how wrong we have it sometimes. Yeah, 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 so true. Do you think also, just to finish on that point, we talk about, I see a lot of businesses where, and I've been in those businesses where we operate in silos, you know, there's there's sales over there and marketing over there and HR over there and we all live within our four walls and never talk, whereas I imagine in the military, a silo would have been, again, excuse the pun, shot down in a second. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it, it, there are the the silos in there, but a lot of the time the silos are around um, operational um, uh, operational requirements. Um, but yeah, you've got to rely on everyone, and um, you know, you know, there's that uh, the analogy of team. You know, sort of together, everyone achieves more. Um, you know, and and uh, and we're a big believer in that. You know, you. Yeah, you can't really achieve just as an individual, and you've got to. I think finding a way to join all of those teams together and get them on that common purpose um, and that common goal is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and there'd be a lot of business owners. Again, we're all control freaks, us business owners, and that ability to delegate, the ability to outsource, the ability to sort of say, you know what, I can't do it all. I should focus on what I'm good at. Um, can only lead to a better business. Hey, Scotty, love those five critical success factors, mate. I've got five quickie. Quickie questions for you. You ready? Sure, no problem. They're very bizarre, mate. I haven't done this before. Just testing it. (laughs) Number one. Okay. What's your worst habit you'd love to get rid of? The worst habit, checking my mobile phone as soon as I wake up or before I go to bed at night. Oh, mate, rookie. 
rookie. <laughs> it's but, when you when you own your own business. Oh, I know, you're, but you're tied into every single thing it does. Man, there's you know, so much research on why you shouldn't do that. How's your sleep oh, I know. then? Yeah, my sleep is horrendously bad. So, oh, wow. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, number two, what are your showers like? What are my showers like? <laughs> I've got a, a huge, big, double-headed shower in uh, with a beautiful view over the river. Mate, and you, would, and you would have a routine, again, within an inch of its life, correct? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Do you condition each time or just, just, you just go quick shampoo? Be no conditioner when you're out. Massage. I've, I've got short hair, so uh, it's always just quick shampoo. It's always the two-in-one because it's quicker. Oh, yeah, the old two-in-one. What a great together. invention, the two-in-one. We, we, we don't see it a lot, but I remember when it came out years ago and I thought, that's just smart. Um, what's yeah. the one thing you've never told anyone? Not because it's a secret, but because you've just never told anyone. But when I started my business, I was... So far out of my depth, it wasn't funny. Good on you, mate. Hey, that, I like that because I reckon, you know, being an ex-SAS guy, you will have to be the tough guy. People say, Scotty, that's Scotty. You know, he's a soldier. But yeah. beautiful, you're out of your depth. Thank you for admitting Massively. that. Um, so, uh, yeah. What's your favourite article of clothing and why? R.M. Williams boots. You love the so, boots, do you? It's the, oh, they're a standard dress of the day for all of our guys in the office. So the Aaron Williams boots. So, well, yeah, definitely. They go forever. And finally, what's the one thing you believe that almost no one else does? Frio will win a flag. <laughs> Frio. For overseas yeah. listeners, that's a very average football team in Western Australia. Hey, Scotty, um, interesting, mate. I never had an insight into the military and in particular such a such an experienced unit as the SAS. So thanks for taking us behind the lines. I'll finish with that pun and all the best for the future. No, thanks very much, Tim, and thanks for your time. And hopefully, someone uh, yeah gets a bit out of it and uh, yeah and and likes the likes the story. Well, there you go, team. Scott Houston of Executive Risk Solutions. I, I do uh, enjoy asking those five random questions at the end. They always they're proving to be quite revealing. We see another side of our guests. I've only done them for the last couple of episodes, but I think I will continue them. Do you like them? Love to know. Hey, coming up, I share my top three attention grabbers from that fireside chat with Scott. But first, here's a word from two businesses that want to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. Support for this show comes from Web Central, who know exactly what Google want. Verity Ma, their chief marketing officer, spells out how to please the world's biggest search engine. Every time Google comes back to your website and crawls it, they need to see that your website has been changed, updated with fresh content and new imagery, for example. Say if you're a restaurant, you want to update your menu every week and provide some specials that are on your website, give some customer testimonials. Now, that fresh new content is what Google's looking for. So if you just build your website and leave it for four years, which, let's be honest, is very common in the Australian market, then you're not actually optimising your website for your visitors or for your search engines like Google. Web Central, building and managing beautifully effective business websites that make the big G very happy. Check out webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo for exclusive listener offers. 
Support for this show comes from Cornerstone Business Solutions, an Aussie-owned, family-run outsourcing business based in the Philippines, who can reduce your running costs by up to 90%. I asked founder David Warren to share one killer tip that would ensure any business owner's journey into the world of outsourcing was a successful one. The secret is building a small team. And you don't have to have a big team. You know, two people team to get started. And then once you've got a small team on the ground in a structured environment, so that small team helps in regards to HR, payroll, IT. Once you've got that small team on the ground and you learn how to make that team productive, Mm -hmm. then you've got an ability to scale wherever you want to go. Cornerstone Business Solutions, where teams mean business. You can book a chat with David today at cornerstonebusinesssolutions.com.au forward slash consultation. Righto, my top three attention grabbers from my time, our time, I should say, with Scott. Number one. Jump and enjoy the ride. I like that attitude. You could apply this mindset to your marketing. Have some fun with it. Try new things. That's what the new section or segment of this show is all about. What have you got to lose? Um, you know, where I share a marketing idea that you can implement immediately that you might not have thought of. So have some fun. Jump and enjoy the ride with your marketing. Attention grabber number two, shoot the Bambies. <laughs> now... It sounds like soldier talk, right? Whilst it might sound a little bit harsh to some, and (laughs) hello to all you animal activists out there, I think the key point is to move those employees that are getting in the way of growing your business. And that may mean simply giving them different responsibilities, not necessarily getting rid of them altogether. Uh, And attention grabber number three... I loved how Scott revealed that when he launched his business in those early days, he felt out of his depth. Jeez, how reassuring is that to hear when G.I. Joe is out of his depth, hey? Makes us mere mortals feel a little bit more normal, right? Well, they're the three things that grabbed my attention. I'd love to know what grabbed yours. The show notes have been quite active. Uh, last, uh, the episode with Michael Gerber a couple of weeks ago in particular, getting some great feedback. So I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. Head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 340 and you will have the opportunity to tell me what it grabbed your attention in this episode. It's time for me to share one simple yet effective marketing idea that you can implement immediately, today, if not tomorrow, but no later, in the next 24 hours, an idea that's not going to cost you a fortune, if anything. Today's idea is free, got to love that, and that might just generate you more awareness, more inquiry, and ultimately more sales. Hey, we all want a bit of that. Today's idea is to tell your brand story. Now, who doesn't love a good story? You know, in business, telling a good story can lead a potential customer to pick you over one of your competitors. Why? Because it emotionally engages them. That's what stories do. As a business owner, it's important that you take the time to develop a compelling brand story 
that you can share. It's an essential and like really essential part of building your reputation and helping people understand why you do what you do and how your business came to be. Don't think people won't be interested in it, team. Done well, they will, and it will pull them in like a moth to a flame. Telling your brand story is also a great way to build trust and remind people that at the end of the day, your business is managed and run by real human beings. Hey, it's a wacky concept. You know, I'm astounded at how many businesses, especially in the service industry, don't do this. Don't create that emotion. People buy from people, team. Here's a great example from the Four Frogs Crapery in Mosman, Sydney. This is their brand story, which they have on the wall, on their website, on their menus. It reads as follows, and I quote, We are four Frenchmen who came to Australia and loved it. We found beautiful beaches, a perfect climate, and wonderful people. The one thing we couldn't find, excellent crepes. In France, we love our crepes. Sweet for dessert and savoury, we call them galettes, for a delicious meal with a glass of cider or wine and some good company. They're always made to order and are natural, fresh and delicious. Australia, you gave us so much, we give you our delicious crepes. (laughs) Unquote. There's a bad French accent at the end, eh? Lucky I didn't do it for the whole story, but um, that's a great example of a brand story right there. So... Here's my three-step process for creating your brand story. Number one, spend an afternoon thinking about what led you to starting your business, who was there to help you, and how you felt. Jot down a few pages of notes and create an initial outline. Step two, decide how you want to tell your brand story. Some business owners choose to create a visual timeline that illustrates how the business came to be. Others like to tell their brand story on video or with a combination of words and photos, a bit like a blog post. Write the first draft and gather any supporting materials you'd like to include, like quotes from others, old photos and footage, old logos, etc., etc., And then step three in creating your brand story is to publish it on your website. Print it on a poster, hang it around your shop or office, share it via social media, put it on the back of your business card, get it out there. Now, as always, there'll be links in the show notes for the resources I mentioned here. Plus, I'm going to include a couple of brand stories done on video uh, in a blog post over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 340. They're absolutely brilliant, so I encourage you to have a look at them. Now, if you'd like help implementing any of the ideas I share in this segment, go ahead and join the Small Business Big Marketing Club, where I'll personally support you on your marketing journey. So, what do you got to lose? Well, that almost wraps up another episode of the Small Business Big Marketing Show. Next week, you and I, we're going to meet Stephen Byron, whose family decided to buy a very rundown Canberra airport a few years ago, spend a lazy $2 billion on it, and turn it into a world-class airport, which they've done. What's interesting is all the little one percenters they included in the new design that make it insanely consumer-friendly. We can learn so much from this chat with Stephen. Hey, a while back, I chatted with Karen Justice, owner of the highly successful Just for Pets franchise, but it wasn't always that way. 
Here she is talking about the moment she realised she'd bought a lemon. Oh, I remember it so vividly. It was about 15 days after I bought the business and I had decided my first port of call was to visit all the suppliers that um, previous business owner had negotiated with and I had seen probably eight or ten suppliers while I was in Sydney and it was a Friday afternoon and for the eighth or tenth time they had said to me, what did you do? I hope you didn't spend too much money because this business is a joke. I got out into the car in the car park of the supplier and burst into tears and went, oh, my God, what have I done? And um, But I, I, I had something. I'd paid money for it I had I realized I had to turn that around because I just couldn't throw away that money and I spent 12 months literally reinventing it from scratch changed its name changed its ideas changed the way it operated and that's where I am today Oh, that was such an inspiring story. She absolutely turned that business around and she tells exactly how she did it. You can hear that interview plus hundreds more over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com or I would love you to hit pause right now and subscribe free on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Hey, be sure to check out Cornerstone Business Solutions if the idea of a virtual assistant excites the hell out of you. You'll find them over at cornerstonebusinesssolutions.com.au and you can book a free discovery call with owner David Warren to find out how they can help you. And remember, you now know what Google wants in order for them to rank your website on page one. It's not hard, but does require some time. So why not hand that responsibility over to Web Central? You can check out their three exclusive listener packages over at webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo. I'd love to hear from you. Email me, tim at timreid.com.au or you can hit me up on Twitter at Timbo Reid. If you love the show, tell another small business owner or 10. I'd love you to do that. Until next week, I'm Timbo Reed. Thanks for listening in. Love your work. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.